it's the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. If you're a new listener, this is your first Barbell Medicine Podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining us here. We've got a lot of great information we think you're going to love. If you're a returning listener, if you're an OG, welcome back. Happy to have you here. This week is episode 155. We're talking with Jacob Sipkin of Anarchos Training Methods, formerly of TZ Strength fame, and we're talking about everything CrossFit. If you wondered, what does Barbell Medicine think about CrossFit? Is CrossFit a useful training modality? How do you program for it? How do you coach it? And then some other nuances with respect to CrossFit. This is the episode for you. Um, And we also include some kind of in-depth And we also include some in-depth conceptual thinking about programming for health versus performance and kind of where that intersection lies. So this is a great episode. I really think you're going to enjoy it. Before we hop into it, a few announcements. We have two live in-person seminars left for 2021. One is a pain and rehab seminar that's hosted by Dr. Derek Miles and Dr. Michael Ray. It's in Gainesville, Florida. We're offering CEUs for physical therapists and chiropractors. So if you're in that neck of the woods or can be in that neck of the woods and you want to learn more about pain and rehab, Uh, In that process, check out that seminar. We have a few spots left there. Put a link to that in the description below. Also, we have our regular Barbell Medicine Seminar hosted by uh, Untamed Strength. That's Alan Thrall's gym. It's in Sacramento, California. And I'll be there. Austin will be there. Leah will be there. Tom Campitelli will be there. Alan will be there. And a few other Barbell Medicine coaches. We have a few spots left there as well. And yep, there's a link to that in the description below as well. Finally, We have our fall apparel drop. It's about to happen. Uh, This episode is going to go up on Monday, the 11th. I believe the drop is going to happen sometime on Friday or Saturday. Uh, If you haven't subscribed to our newsletter yet, uh, you should do that. You can go over to the website and just there's a pop-up. Put your email in there. You get uh, all the latest updates in addition to never-before-seen information. Uh, We send you guys little nuggets uh, like Uh, scientific evidence updates and kind of things that don't make it to the website. So it's a pretty cool newsletter list. It's not just marketing. It's just new information, latest nuance in health and fitness. So uh, yeah, if you want to stay apprised of what's going on with Barbell Medicine, sign up for the newsletter. We'd love to have you on our mailing list. All right, that's enough for the announcements. Let's hop into this week's podcast with Jacob Sipkin. Hey there, my name is Jacob Sipkin. I'm a strength and conditioning coach, and I'm the owner of Anarchos Training Methods. We got Jake Sipkin on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Uh, this is probably one of those podcasts that people are listening to, and they're like, and this is, I don't mean this offensively, but they're probably like, who's, who's Jacob Sipkin? Uh, but you should know this name, and if you've been around for as long as I have, uh, you do know this name. Uh, Jacob's been involved in everything from CrossFit, CrossFit coaching, powerlifting. There's a lot of uh, intermingling uh, and, and some high-level programming uh, discussions. He was recently on the Reactive Training Systems podcast with Mike T and John Kiley. Uh, so def- I'll put that in the description below. You guys are definitely going to hear that after this. Um, interesting story about how Jake, uh, Jacob and I met. It was the 2015 CrossFit Games. Uh, we were standing in the nosebleed section watching on the final day. And you were standing next to... Um, Oh, what's his name? He lives in San Diego, ex-powerlifter. Also Matt Nolan. Matt, Matt Nolan, yes. Yeah. And Matt and I were remarking about how we both just had gigantic deadlifts for our size. And which Matt is and true. I, which is true, yeah. You know, it's a flex, but also true. Uh, as powerlifters do, you just instantly want to measure up and see how you do. But we had known each other via through powerlifting. And then Jacob's sitting there, and I, I at that point was CrossFit curious because powerlifting <laughs> – because powerlifting is like the, it, we agree, is one of the most unathletic, you know, displays of athleticism <laughs> that you can participate in. Uh, I mean, I do enjoy it and it's something I happen to be good at. So I'm going to keep doing it. But uh, at that point, I was CrossFit curious. And so I got to talking to Jacob and he was doing some really interesting things with CrossFit coaching. And it actually, it made sense to me, the the way that you went about programming for CrossFit for developing uh, performance and proficiency in CrossFit. And so I thought at that point, I was like, well, after this next meet, I know that I'm going to take a break from powerlifting and I'm going to get into CrossFit. So I'm going to contact this guy. And Jacob actually was doing my CrossFit programming for a while. And uh, also, and then later on, I guess when Sean Sweeney went to the games, that was what, 16? 16 was his first year, yeah. 
Yeah. So we, I was living down in LA and then you guys were training the OC as like a final little preparatory camp for the games. And then I came down there and you were using me as a rabbit for Sean to, <laughs> to chase. The only way that I could keep up with Sean was for Jacob to actually modify the workouts in a way where I was doing like half of what Sean was doing, but Sean didn't know that. So he was just like, why is this dude beating me? Yeah. <laughs> so, which was funny. Um, but yeah, so good times. We go back a long ways. Uh, this podcast, we're going to talk about CrossFit. Uh, we're going to talk about programming philosophy for uh, not only, you know, strength improvement, but also you know, a bunch of different goals. We're going to talk about BJJ and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But before we get into that, Jacob, why don't you give people a little bit more uh, information on your background, sort of education, your coaching background, and then uh, what you're doing now? Sure. Uh, education, there's very little to speak of. I, I finished high school, although it was uh, it was a, cl- a near miss. And uh, dropped out of junior college after a couple of semesters and started working right away. So my first job in the industry was uh, running a CrossFit gym out in Northern Virginia. Did that for about six months. Uh, It took me those six months to figure out that uh, I never wanted to be anybody's employee. So I, uh, I went home to Monterey. And I opened a gym. And it took me seven years to figure out that I never wanted to be anybody's employer. And uh, from there, I started working entirely online uh, and have been uh, been my on my own since then. So that's uh, early 2015. I sold the gym. I moved down to Southern California uh, for to Orange County for a couple of years. Uh, as you mentioned, I was uh, kind of working out of Juggernaut Training Systems when they had a, a large gym. That was a really cool experience. Uh, I got to learn from a lot of really, really excellent coaches and athletes while I was there. Um when I owned the gym, when I owned CrossFit Monterey, uh, I also launched a company called TZ Strength, uh, which is now Anarcho's Training Methods. But basically, you know, 2013, uh, I took a team and three individuals to the Northern California Regional. And within about three months of that, seven of those nine people were gone because Monterey is a town that's going to, that gets most of its sort of healthy, you know, uh, young athletic population from, from the military. So we've got, uh, the uh, language school there, the defense language Institute and the Naval postgraduate school. So those folks leave. So I realized if I was interested in producing competitive CrossFit athletes, I was going to have to move online. So I launched TZ strength, um, did that for, for a number of years. I changed the company name to Anarchos training methods a few years ago, but broadly continued doing the same thing. Still doing the same thing now. I work mostly online. I do a little bit of personal training, uh, but that's just kind of on the side because it's something I enjoy doing. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Seattle now, uh, so I just work at a local gym out here. Uh, I do a little bit less competitive CrossFit stuff because I, I basically don't do any advertising or, or social media or anything. That, that makes it difficult to get competitive CrossFitters. So I still have, have a few. I have a kind of a small group of uh, competitors I work with. I work with a lot of gen pop clients. One of the things that I really love doing these days, I still work with a ton of people who I've worked with for many years who have transitioned away from being competitive. And one thing I've really come to enjoy is kind of helping those folks um, figure out training processes and and developing an approach to training that is really productive and enjoyable and something they can sustain over the long term. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah, Jacob's one of the OGs in the online coaching uh, realm, specifically from a strength and conditioning standpoint. I mean, been doing it for years. And yeah, that's why it's on the podcast. Also, you know, we happen to know each other. If we didn't know each other, he's taken a, he's taken a very interesting road to try to get to for his training business with no advertising. And yeah, no I've, social I've, media. I've uh, it's all Exodus, man. I, I told you I, I was switched from all the big stuff to all the little stuff. I'm trying to trying to be small over here. Yeah, but uh, his it, the content on his website is very good, uh, and then the the places that you can find him online, which we'll cover at the end, uh, will all be linked in the description below. So let's uh, kick off this first topic. We're going to talk about CrossFit, and uh, prior to us starting recording, we we agreed that we needed to come up with an actual definition for what is CrossFit. Uh, we can't just use the you know CrossFit HQ's definition of what is CrossFit. You know, functional movements performed at high intensities broad time and modal domains. Okay, cool. But what does that actually mean? And what does it exclude? Because if CrossFit is everything, then CrossFit is nothing at the same time. And so we can't really use that operationally. Um, is it just the sport of fitness? Is it competitive fitness? Uh, how would you define CrossFit? And uh, we'll see if we agree. Yeah, I mean, I think any of those things can work, right? So I don't necessarily think we have to settle on a definition of CrossFit. But whenever we're talking about it, we have to talk about, you know, what sort of conception we're using. So there's obviously uh, what you alluded to, which is kind of uh, 
functional movements, high intensity, constantly varied, etc., uh, which I think is workable, I think has some utility, but but in order to use that, you have to dive into what each of those things means, and then, you know, here we go on an infinite, infinite regress. Sure. Um, I think there's also an important, like, cultural understanding of what CrossFit is, and I don't think that ought to be disregarded, because, you know, as I'm sure we'll discuss when we talk about some of the good and some of the bad of what CrossFit is, I think some of the most important impacts are cultural impacts. Mm-hmm. Um when I think about CrossFit in terms of training, what I think about is just the attempt to develop a, a fitness that is broad and inclusive, uh, as broad and as inclusive as possible, borrowing that basically directly from HQ. Um, I don't think too much about particulars of training because, you know, I do things pretty differently from a lot of other folks who I still think realistically fit with under the umbrella of CrossFit training. So I I don't know that it makes sense to try to define a very specific idea of what CrossFit training is. So I I tend to think of it in terms of what it aims at. It aims at that very broad and inclusive fitness. I think there are some characteristics we can tease out. Um, Sort of philosophically, CrossFit has always been oriented towards an understanding of fitness that cares more about um, external measurements, measurements of tasks performed than it does of physiological metrics, right? So, uh, even though I use physiological metrics when I reason about training, when I design training, they're really kind of proxies. And I think that as a, you know, conceptually speaking, philosophically speaking, one important feature of CrossFit training and of how CrossFitters perhaps ought to, or how, at least how Greg Glassman thought about, uh, training and fitness was to value, uh, external measurements, measurements of tasks performed, pretty heavily over physiological metrics. Uh, beyond that, as far as the training itself, you know, I think, I think, uh, it, 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 there's, there's not a clear way to do it. There's not a clear way to say what CrossFit training is, which is kind of part of the problem. Uh, we'll say that I think that what I do and what CrossFit.com does are very different, like substantively different, but still both reasonably qualify as CrossFit. Although they might say that mine does not, since I don't even have a level one anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Can't be CrossFit if you're not certified. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I agree that when you look at CrossFit from like an outcome standpoint, like a desired fitness adaptations, it is much more broad than just pure low velocity, maximal strength or power, high velocity uh, mm-hmm. strength or cardiorespiratory endurance. It's like, look, if you can measure it, like we want to get all of it and, and not to the detriment of one over the other, you're not going to specialize on purpose. Um, that said, if a program was claiming to be CrossFit and didn't have a substantial proportion of it being metabolic conditioning as CrossFit normally does with couplets of two movements or triplets or, you know, some sort of mixed modal kind of thing, it would be difficult for me to be like, that is classically CrossFit, right? So if you do like a squat five by five and then you overhead press or push press, and then you push a sled, I'm like, well, you did some strength, you did some conditioning, strength and conditioning, but is that CrossFit? Because if so, like I've been doing CrossFit for, you know, decades. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably a fair sort of unifying variable. There's got to be some kind of I think what I think of as mixed modal conditioning. I will just drop a brief note here that I think the term metcon or metabolic conditioning is useless and we should abandon it. It is meaningless. Squats are metabolic conditioning. When you squat heavy sets of five, there is metabolic conditioning going on. Uh, it doesn't it just doesn't mean anything. I don't think it's a, a useful term, but that's just me being a pedant, which I'm sure I'll do a lot of today. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that's reasonable. I'll, I'll say that also I think you can still be doing CrossFit in the sense of there being being aimed at that kind of broad, inclusive fitness, but having periods of training where the uh, amount of mixed modal conditioning that you do is relatively low, uh, and especially contingent on you know the particulars. If I have an athlete who just needs to get stronger, that's going to be the emphasis in their training. But because getting stronger is moving them towards that goal, it's it's what we determine to be the most efficient route to moving them towards that goal of the broadest, most inclusive fitness possible. I would say they're still doing CrossFit in that sense. But, But obviously, aesthetically speaking, it's hard to look at something as CrossFit if it doesn't, you know, if you're not doing thrusters plus pull ups plus running or, or whatever. I think that's clearly a, a, a big part of it. Yeah, I agree. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll move on here. Um, so in CrossFit, the internet claims that CrossFit is oh, dangerous, oh 
That's right. Yeah, we're going to the internet. The internet says that CrossFit is dangerous and inefficient, among other things that we can't repeat uh, on air. Uh, the actual data suggests, though, that the injury risk in CrossFit is about the same as other barbell sports and, you know, recreational, both competitive and recreational pursuits, about two to four injuries per thousand participation hours, suggesting there's no inherent increased risk from CrossFit, which I know much Many people are like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'll, uh, I, I came with receipts and I'll put them in the uh, description below so you can, you can argue with the authors. That said, there's little data actually comparing efficiency for generating specific fitness adaptations between different types of training. So like CrossFit versus bodybuilding, CrossFit versus what would we consider classically powerlifting programming or weightlifting, um, or even just a general SNC program that we wouldn't call CrossFit. Uh, in your view, how efficient is CrossFit at generating at adaptations like strength, hypertrophy, and cardiorespiratory endurance improvements compared to these other types of training. And we can kind of go through, um, uh, you know, one by one, and we could start with strength. So CrossFit for generating strength, um, how would you, you know, is it as efficient, slightly less efficient, more efficient? And I guess this all determines on how you, depends on how you program CrossFit, right? But yeah, it, it does. But even if, you know, I'll answer this talking about it from kind of the perspective of how I program, which includes a substantial strength component. And I'm assuming here that we're talking about CrossFit as the broad approach to training and not just like how efficient is, you know, doing circuits of thrusters and pull-ups at making making you stronger, right? So, so uh, with the assumption that strength training is included, the short answer is it's, of course, substantially less efficient. But why wouldn't it be, right? Isn't that, that's what we ought to expect. And um, I don't think there's anybody remaining, at least anybody who we ought to take seriously, uh, who is going to make the claim that CrossFit is more efficient at producing strength than strength training or more improved, uh, more efficient at producing hypertrophy than hypertrophy training, et cetera. We shouldn't expect it to be. Um, the, the question uh, again, sorry, go on. Oh, although Glassman, I do believe did claim that CrossFit is better than I said anyone we should take seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. All right, fair enough. Uh, so you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely the case that it's going to be less efficient than specializing, and I, I don't think that should surprise anyone. Uh, but I think that it's important to frame the question because the question that that I think makes sense here is how efficient is CrossFit at producing strength or whatever other adaptation uh, you want to you want to isolate. Uh, while also minimally ha having a minimal negative impact on all these other adaptations, right? Because that's the target. So I think it would be pretty silly of anyone to insist that CrossFit is going to uh, be more efficient or as efficient as isolating a particular set of adaptations and uh, and training specifically for those. It's definitely going to be less efficient. The question is, what are you trying to achieve? If the goal is not just to be as strong as possible, but to have that kind of broad, inclusive fitness we we talked about earlier, the calculus changes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think my it's not pushback so much as what it depends really how you're trying to measure these outcomes. And, and, and again, like you mentioned, like what's important to you. So if we're looking at this from like a health perspective, we're principally looking at four major outcomes, lean body mass improvement, strength improvement, power improvement, cardiorespiratory fitness improvement. I don't really care what your gymnastic skills look like. I don't really care what your double under, you know, proficiency is, or, you know, uh, some of these other things that are actually tested and, 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 you know, you need to have in CrossFit. Uh, so, so the real, uh, I guess, a statement and then a question. I think CrossFit is perfectly fine for meeting and exceeding the current physical activity guidelines. You could do CrossFit to the cows come home and be very healthy and it's a health promoting activity. And like, I have no qualms about that. If you're comparing it to a program that is also trying to drive strength, power, cardiorespiratory fitness, uh, is it any better or are you sacrificing a little bit to get some of these other skills that may not necessarily transfer from a health perspective, from a sporting perspective, Totally agree. Look, you got to get better at some of the gymnastic skills, some of these, uh, uh, you know, other elements of CrossFit that aren't don't have a direct effect on like your long term health trajectory just by nature of it being CrossFit. But right. um, and so you're giving a little bit, but how much and does it matter? Well, so this is going to, again, come back to questions of definition. What do we mean by health? So when I think about health, one um, one thing that I really value very strongly is what I think of as physical autonomy. The, the ability to navigate yourself uh, physically in the world without the assistance of, of, you know, whoever or whatever else. So I think that what um, I'll actually, I actually will use a, an example uh, for, of, of Greg's here that I, that I always found useful uh, when he, he would ask something to the effect of you've got two men, Bob and Joe, 
and um Bob has a perfect health panel. His bloods, they're, they're both in there. They're both elders, elderly. They're 75, whatever. Uh, and Bob's got perfect blood, uh, you know, blood panels. And he has no, uh, no uh, apparent chronic illness, et cetera, et cetera. But he's wheelchair bound. And Joe uh, lives on his own. And he, you know, walks to the store to get his groceries and carries them up three flights of stairs. Uh, and he, you know, works out three times a week. But he's got cancer. Who's healthier? Um, it's not a trivial question. And, and I think it, it, you know, it is really important that we think about what we mean by health. So I think that what some, what Greg might say, or what like CrossFit quote unquote might say is, uh, being able to do muscle ups is an indication of your ability to do something in the physical world, to pull yourself up and over a physical object. Um, just as an example, to take like a gymnastics movement, so that's some, since that's something that we're kind of saying, maybe it doesn't contribute to health. It depends on your definition of health. What I will say is, uh, I find it profoundly unlikely that the most important thing when it comes to developing overall health, that it's going to come down to, did you get a little bit more strength and cardiorespiratory endurance uh, or did you give up some a little bit of that in order to get good at muscle ups? I just think it's not going to matter in the long haul. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So if if you were going to measure and just say like, well, here are the the measurements we want: lean body mass, strength, power, etc. Sure, maybe uh, not doing gymnastics would would maximize those values. I just am skeptical that maximizing those values at the margin is going to make much of a difference. Oh yeah. I think the threshold to reach that highest quartile or whatever fraction you're going to break it up to as far as like, these are the healthiest people. Like it's going to be that, that cut point is going to be relatively low for strength, right. lean body mass, cardiorespiratory fitness, et cetera. Right. Um, and, and so people are like, well, is a 315 squat better than 225? I'm like, well, it's a stronger squat. But as yeah. far as like the health trajectory of a person with a 315 squat versus 225, I can't really comment on because I think you're already in that you know, highest tier. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You're so far ahead of the curve. And, uh, for me, I really do think, I mean, is a person going to enjoy their training more with or without muscle ups? That's sure. kind of, that's yeah. kind of the, the, the bigger factor to me. What's going to keep them in process for the longest yeah. period of time for adherence. Yeah. I think, uh, getting people, the act of participating in a regular, you know, physical activity program long-term, that's the big thing versus yep. like, yeah, but did they maximize their strength improvement, particularly in the short term? Like, mm -hmm. I don't care how strong you get in six weeks. I want to know what you're doing in six years, 10 years, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I, I totally agree. For the listeners at home, the definition of health that we use, because I agree the definitions are important, is uh, from Huber et al. This is the British Med Medical Journal 2011. I'll link this in the description below. It's the ability to adapt and self-manage in the face of social, physical, and emotional challenges. So it's, again, this big self-efficacy thing like uh, can't, you know, it's not just the absence of like disease or, you know, illness. It's rather, do you have the capacity to be adaptable? Um, because if you lose that capacity, uh, bad things are going to yeah, happen. The world's so, going to, world's going to keep on moving and you're going to get stuck. Agreed. Okay. So you've programmed for competitive CrossFit athletes. Like people literally go into the games and regionals and very high levels of competition and also like recreational CrossFitters who just want a more structured plan. What do you, in your, in your experience, what's the biggest difference between like how you're programming for those folks or, or is there a difference in the person who's games bound or regionals bound, or at least has a shot at it versus the person who's like, honestly, I just like to go to open gym and I want to get better because sure. I like it. Sure. Um, I guess there's a, there's a substantial quantitative difference just in the sense that, uh, the total training volume and, uh, hours training, which are obviously like correlated though distinct, uh, it's just going to be much larger for a competitive athlete. If you, if you want to be CrossFit's a volume sport, especially at the games level. Um, and there's just so much to do. There's so much to get good at. Uh, and that's also true, not just of CrossFit, but you know, if it was jujitsu or powerlifting or whatever, if you came to me and said, I want, you know, I like improving my squat bench and deadlift, and I'm not trying to do any meets and I'm fine with taking it slow. Your training might look different in terms of volume than if you said, I got to meet in 24 weeks and I, and I want to hit the heaviest lifts I possibly can. So that difference is obviously there. There's also an important qualitative difference in just like the stance that I would want the athlete to take towards training in the sense of when, when you're a competitive athlete, when what you care about is maximizing performance, you kind of conform your life to training and uh, you make space for things in your life that aren't training, but 
the point is that those are the things you have to make space for and training takes precedence. And I think it's just the other way around. If, if that's not the case, then training is something you make space for in your life. And it's, you know, it's just lesser priority. And that sounds obvious, but I, I, I do think it's very easy for people who are recreational, who aren't really on that track to like pushing themselves to their limits to nonetheless sort of get caught in a trap where they try to conform their life around training instead of the other way around. And it's an easy trap to get caught in. So I guess those are the two biggest differences. As far as my actual approach, like the actual approach I take to training, not not much is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we get the same thing all the time. People are like, I want to get as strong as humanly possible, like this, that, and the other. But then the next thing is, well, I don't have a meet coming up or anything. And it's like, okay, so I, I want to think about this in a way. It's not, it's not to trivialize, you know, people who actually aren't no, going to a meet all. or competition. Uh, no, not, uh, but rather like, understanding yeah the volume differences and then also the amount of compromise we're willing to to have so for, for right now i'm five weeks out and my training volume has never been higher i'm spending 15 plus close to 20 hours a week in the gym training and i do love to train but uh i could be playing more golf <laughs> you know i could be doing some other stuff uh yeah. and, but it's just and training is the number one thing right it's like okay when am i going to train where are my meals are going to be around this training like any social interactions like has to be done after training oh can i go out of town because i don't know i gotta like make sure i can train whatever right um versus if somebody's like i'm just training like i do like this pursuit of strength that i want to get bigger i want to get healthier um you know whatever and, and i like the process but it's like yeah you don't need that and you certainly don't need to specialize, Absolutely. you know, and um, yeah, as far as how the programs look, it's a lot of the similar elements, just the, to the degree and the amount, the magnitude and like volume and stuff is going to yep. be less. And so when people are like, I'm spending three hours a day in the gym training, I'm like, cool, when's the meet? And they're like, oh no, no meat. Just, you know, just training. I'm like, Hey, if you like it, I love it. That's great. But yep. like it, we can do this very similar things with less because if I didn't have a meet coming up, like in a year or something, I'd probably be training maybe 90 minutes a couple times yeah. a week as like a, yeah. as a maintenance kind of thing, sanity, self-care type deal. Uh, rather than when I was doing your CrossFit programming, because that was the competitor track. And you were like, you, you, sure, you sure you want this? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, dude. I, well, my thought was I wanted to get ready for the open and I wanted to try to see like how good could I get and would I ever be at a similar level of competitiveness in CrossFit as I was in powerlifting? And so you're like, cool, well, here's your morning session. It's like a run. And then here's your afternoon session. It's like Olympic weightlifting and like some skill work. And then here's your evening session. It's Metcon plus some other like skill work. And I'm like, yeah, sounds awesome. I've been training all day. <laughs> but the the difference was I, wa I wasn't competitive, right? And so after after the open, I was like, this sucks. I'm not good at this. I got 999th in my area, you know, whatever, just 998 spots behind Ben Smith. No big deal. I just wanted to. No play. big deal. Yeah, you're very good. Very close. <laughs> very close. Yeah. Well, it was funny because him and his brother were like, we love training with you when we have to lift, but the, net, <laughs> the conditioning stuff, yeah, not so much. And I was like, hey, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I, I think that breaks it down between competitive crossfitter and um you know recreational crossfitter or a person who like wants to chase m this broad inclusive fitness um so broadly speaking how would you program for someone looking to follow like a structured crossfit program because i think we both agree look if you like crossfit style programming and you're you know just seeking health improvements i think you could just do the crossfit.com main the main site workouts and be fine it's probably not as structured as you would make it for an individual or for a group of individuals. But if you're just, again, looking for like a health promoting physical activity that meets the mm -hmm. current guidelines, dude, yeah, you that's yeah, there. Sure. So how would you like structure this for somebody who wants a structured program? They do open gym. Uh, I mean, do you think people even need this like, outside of wanting it? Because people want a lot of things they don't necessarily need. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to say here. Let me start with that. Do people need this question? I don't know about need, but what I will say is I think that people like making progress, whether they want to compete or not. People <laughs> yeah, people sure. love people love getting better. And I don't just mean in the long term. I think that people 
you know, so in fairness, I have a selection bias for clients who can handle doing a lot of the same things. As you know, from my approach, you know how tight I am with Mike Tushier and, and that he and I share a lot of views. Um, you know, a lot of the time my clients do like the same thing three or four weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh but they often do really well with that because people like doing a thing and then doing it again, but better. That's a yeah, thing people enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I, although I do think you're right that certainly just doing CrossFit.com and scaling it appropriately to your level, like that's going to get you in good shape and going to help you be healthy. Totally fine. I do still think that there are certain things you could make, uh, certain things you could do differently that would be more progressive, more structured. And obviously, in my book, would still count as CrossFit that would have a, a positive outcome, both in the sense of developing better fitness um, and in the sense of like people, people will enjoy it. They will enjoy that process of I did five more pounds this week than last week. I did two more intervals this week than last week or, or whatever. Um, as for st- how to structure CrossFit training, man, uh, we, we need like six podcasts. <laughs> I'll tell you how I think about CrossFit training a little bit, and I think that's probably the best I can do. So first of all, I, I broadly think of it in two two domains of training. We could call them biomotor training and bioenergetic training. So biomotor being everything that has to do uh, with like the movement itself, whether that is moving more weight, developing a skill, etc. And then bioenergetic training, which is kind of the ability to take those movement patterns that we're that we're training and improving our ability to uh, express them over a period of time. So we could we could just say strength training and endurance training. I personally don't think those are big enough to capture everything we're doing. Like is a, is a workout of 135 pound thrusters and bar muscle ups and rowing endurance training, strength training. It's, it's part of the challenge of, of, of training CrossFitters is that we need the traditional categories are lacking for, for getting at what we want to get at. Um, Basically, what I what I want to do is separate training to the, those two broad categories, break those further down into, you know, under biomotor training, we've got gymnastics training, we've got Olympic weightlifting, we've got conventional strength training. Uh, we've also got movement training associated with uh, like cyclical modalities, like learning how to run and row properly. Uh, and then bioenergetics training is is kind of everything else we do, that, that, that process of extending the athlete's ability to express their biomotor uh, skills and capacities. Um, I typically use for most of my athletes, a two week model. So an A week and a B week, uh, basically, or a two week micro cycle is maybe a better way to put that. Uh, the reason simply being that again, there's, there's just too much ground to cover in a week. It's kind of implausible to get everything done in a week. Um, typically we will have about three days where the, uh, bioenergetic intensity is pretty high. Uh, the model I use for that is very similar to, um, if you're familiar with training think tank and, and especially there's a guy named there named Evan Pycon, uh, his approach to bioenergetics really appeals to me, uh, though I do it much less scientifically cause I don't own a moxie monitor. Um, but so I, I tend to break bioenergetics training down into, uh, delivery training, which is, you know, more, uh, classically called aerobic training, uh, respiratory training, which is what we would conventionally call like VO2 max lactate threshold, that, that area and utilization training, which is what we would typically call anaerobic training. Obviously given the, uh, my decision to use the terms delivery, respiratory and utilization, all of which for the record, I lifted wholesale from TTT and Evan. So in no way are those, you know, uh, that's not my work. And, and if you're interested in learning about their stuff, training think tanks, a great resource, but, uh, obviously the fact that I use those terms instead of aerobic and anaerobic, you can safely infer that I'm a little bit skeptical about the utility of those terms, but that's, that's basically how I structure it. So when I want to improve an athlete, bioenergetically speaking, what I want to do is figure out what are they limited by? Are they limited by their ability to deliver oxygen to the working muscles, their ability to utilize oxygen that is already in those muscles, or their ability to just get enough oxygen into their body from the surrounding environment. When I design workouts, uh, like, quote unquote, Metcons, right? Mixed modal conditioning. What I try to do is always have in mind which one of those broad domains we're targeting. Of course, biology is messy. There's a lot of crossover, but I'm, I'm generally trying to design workouts uh, under the rubric of, is this a delivery, a respiratory or a utilization workout? My approach to strength training is uh, nothing special. Uh, I tend to use RPEs or RIRs for the most part. I assign percentages or specific loads when I think it's useful to do so as a, um, 
as kind of a tool of prescription, but in general, I prefer uh, methods of prescription that allow the athlete to make decisions based on on the context. I, I firmly believe that the athlete is the most important source of information in the program. Uh, I think that I actually think of my training design and coaching process basically as an information processor, as a way of creating a window into what is going on with the athlete's training so that I can make rational decisions. So I really want to empower the athlete. And for those reasons, uh, I use a lot of RPEs and RIRs. Um, kind of the same with weightlifting. Weightlifting, it's a little trickier to use RPE and RIR type stuff, but but I, but I do my best to do so. Uh, and I would say the time that I use the most rigid prescription in terms of like actually telling you this is the weight I want you to use, these are the reps I want you to do, et cetera, uh, tends to be either when I am deliberately constraining the training for some reason, like I want to keep it light, or when uh, I'm using it to sort of lead into something else. Like I want to I want to make sure that you accumulate some volume at a particular loading range before we move on to heavier weights, stuff like that. Uh, that's probably not a particularly helpful answer for you because it doesn't actually tell you what my programs look like, but I don't, it's tough for me because I don't think of programming in that, like that's not how I think about training design. Yeah. Yeah. Just to give people an example, that last one, uh, you know, as far as constraining the load, the very first time I ever jerked overhead, Jake literally wrote on the program, he's like, do not go heavier than 135 and you're going to do this many reps. And I was like, 135, bro, I can, I can press that, you know, 50 times in a row. Like, what, what am I doing here? But I had no idea how to jerk. Right. Same thing with like an overhead squat. Like you were like close grip overhead squat. You're like, don't go heavier than 50 kilos. And I was like, why though? I can figure out a way to like do this. But you, that's not you the could, point. I'm sure you could figure out a way. Yeah, yeah but exactly. But, it's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, broadly speaking, I do like that bioenergetics, biomotor thing. There are, yeah, you got to get stronger in the slow lifts, the fast lifts, gymnastics skills, develop those, those, their skills, right. And then, and being able to express them under load. Uh, and then the bioenergetic stuff is being able to do them for a long period of time, you know, and, and mix them together and all sorts of stuff. So I, I like that. Uh, when I was designing the Titan template, uh, when Jessica Griffith was working with us, we, you know, that was my first like public foray into CrossFit programming. And, uh, I know just enough about CrossFit to be dangerous having participated in it and then, and then programming, you know, for general strength conditioning for a long, long time. And, um, very similar to what you said, there's just so much to do if you're trying to cover all your bases. Yeah. You got to do the slow lifts. Yep. You got to do Olympic lifting. Yep. You got to do gymnastics. Yep. You got to do the specific skill work. Uh, and, and then yeah, uh, mixed modal conditioning, straight up aerobic stuff. And you're like, okay, so for a general template for the general population, like where are people missing the most here? And then how do you put it all together and say, yeah, this is probably fine. So what I, what I ended up doing, um, I actually used a lot of RPE in the conditioning elements, Ma ma mainly to save people from themselves and then also try to bu build like capacity. Like I don't want, I don't want people to just improve their time because they tried harder. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, this, the first week I kind of mailed it in with the second week, boy, I just went, you know, I was laid out on the floor and I see, I got better. And it's like, well, I don't know that you got any fitter, right. You just, you're, you tried, tried harder. So if I can, if we can use a similar exertion level, so either it'd be an RPE or like a session RP, like the whole session shouldn't feel harder than this. And if you're going past that, we're more testing performance rather than building fitness. And, um, but still, e even now I go back and I look at that template. I'm like, I feel, I wish yeah, it had it's, more. It's tough. It's really tough, man. I mean, designing good templates is hard for any, for any yeah. physical pursuit. And it's really hard for CrossFit. I mean, I just don't, I don't do it anymore. I, yeah. uh, I stopped, you know, obviously I used to have like general template programming that I sold. And I, I, even for affiliates, I used to do affiliate programming where you could just sign up and, and everybody got the same program and I don't do any of it anymore. That's not, not to denigrate that kind of thing, because I think it's great that there's a, a varied market. You know, when you do only custom stuff, you've got to charge more yep. and not everybody can afford that. So I think it's great that there's templates out there. For me, it just got boring and it was like a, it was just an insoluble problem that was like, well, I, I, I'm, I, I don't, I can't do this well enough that I'm happy with it. So I'm yeah. just going to abandon the project entirely. But, um, I guess I should also mention a couple hallmarks of my approach are that I, uh, am more, much more prone to repeating workouts, right? So in that AB model, 
uh, let's say you have a rest, a particular respiratory workout on Monday, two weeks later, you're probably going to do the same workout. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, w- usually, depending on the athlete, we'll iterate a workout between like three and six times. Uh, not necessarily exactly the same. We might add volume. We might add intensity. Uh, we might slightly change the structure. So an example of that would be like taking one minute intervals and, t- and turning them into 90 second intervals. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but definitely a lot more repetition, which I kind of alluded to earlier, but it's an, it's definitely a hallmark of my approach. And along with that, um, I think one thing that differentiates me from both like a more classical CrossFit approach, but also from a more typical like uh, long-term structuring approach where you design like a 12 or 16 or 20 week macro cycle. I design, I only design uh, like macro cycles with a defined endpoint uh, when there is a non-arbitrary time constraint. So when the athlete has a competition in 12 weeks, then I'm going to uh, sort of ex ante determine when certain changes in the program are going to take place based mm-hmm. on my knowledge of the athlete and on you know our uh, knowledge of uh, or understanding of uh, the basic principles of training because we know that the athlete has to be as fit as possible on a certain day. Yeah. Uh, but if there's not a non-arbitrary time constraint, uh, I'm prone to you know, my, my mantra is make changes for reasons. If an athlete is making progress on a particular protocol and they don't give me some non-performance related reason to change it. So if an athlete just tells me, dude, I've done this workout four times and I'm bored as hell, I'll change it. But if they're making progress, if they're improving every time, I will not change that protocol because Mm -hmm. why, why would I do that? They're, they're making the adaptations I want them to make, you know, if it ain't broke, et cetera. Yeah, no, that's the same way I am with, with my programming for regardless of who I'm working with. If they're making progress and they're not like, I'm super beat up, I feel like trash or I'm super bored and like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, let's just keep repeating that same microcycle until we have reason to. And people, yeah. and, and and sometimes, you know, people are like, hey, I just ran your template, you know, and I got great results. Like, what should I do next? And I'm like, do it again. <laughs> do it, do it again. again. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, you don't have to give me more money. Like I'm ha- I'm happy to do that. Like, and, and we can fund some more of our, this cool stuff we do at Barbell Medicine, but uh, you could just rerun the same thing if you liked it, unless you want a change. Um, and I will agree with you. Designing templates is by far the hardest thing so that I hard. do. And, but people want them and they, they do like the lower price point and like the sort of, yeah, they're in control and they're always like telling, Hey, do this, do this. And they can see the whole thing in macro versus, uh, so some people like that. Um, mm-hmm. but sitting down to design a template and then beta testing and tweaking and tweaking, like there's way more time that goes into that versus like, if I have a one-on-one client, I kind of get some feedback from them. I'm like, I think this is a good place to start. We're going to see, we'll give you some constraints. Let's get your feedback and then go from there. That yep. is way easier. So yeah, the, the template design is people are like, what are the new templates coming out? And I'm like, God, yeah, I need a break. Yeah. I need a break. It's really tough. It's really tough. I mean, I, I think that people assume it's the other way around. It's no, yes, no, uh, no. It's not the other way around. If you're, if you're brand new, if all you, if you're still, I shouldn't say brand new, but if you're relatively new to coaching and you're sort of in that phase where you understand some general principles, but you haven't developed a method of your own, then designing templates can be easier. But part of yeah. the reason it's easier because is because you don't know what you don't know and you're actually like, yeah. they're not that good. They're, they're not very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's, and, and that's, that's not a, that's not to discredit anybody. It's not to say like, don't do it. Cause I did it and I didn't, you know, I did it when I was new to coaching and I'm sure if I go look back at those things now, I'd be like, good God, what was I doing? Mm-hmm. But, um, the, the reality is that once you have your own method and you understand what you're looking for and sort of when you understand what the purpose of your training design process is, not just how to design a program, but when you design a program, what is the process you're going through? What are you trying to get out of that design process? What information are you looking for from the athlete? Once you have that stuff in place, working with individuals is is much less work than designing templates. Yeah, which again, people think is the exact opposite. And it's like, yeah. it's not. <clears throat> okay, million dollar question. Well, I don't actually know how much the company sold for. So perhaps maybe we'll add a zero, maybe or a couple of zeros, maybe it's a billion dollar question. It's probably more than a million. I, I would guess that. Yeah, let's. Let, yeah, we would like to think so. Uh, also, just as a segue, I don't know this woman's name, but uh, two years ago, she recently sold her online coaching business for four. She's in Australia. F- sold her online 
training business for $400 million. And I remember reading this and I go, I've literally never heard of you or any of your products or any. What? Yeah, yeah. And so so arguably one of the most successful, if not the most successful gotta online. Be, gotta coach. be the most. Gotta yeah. be the most. And I've never heard of her. That's crazy. Which 400 su- million? Which suggests to me that the online fitness market or fitness market in general is so large, so robust. Oh, it's huge. It's there's, huge. There's room for all of us. So next time yes. you're getting mad at somebody online, like well, they're saying stuff that's wrong. And it's like, yeah, sure. Social learning, that's a huge thing. And we actively push back and get about that. But like, you know, there's people who will have never heard of this person, even if they're super popular and super successful and yeah. uh, focus on putting out good information and, and, and try to do that. Okay. I maybe, agree. maybe billion dollar question or hundreds of millions, something like that. What are the best and worst things about CrossFit? So we can start with the positives. We'll lead off with something positive. What, in your opinion, uh, is the best thing about CrossFit? Yeah, that, so the best thing, very, very easy. It's a cultural difference, which is the normalization of hard training and of resistance training. Yeah, yeah. You go to just about any gym in America now, and it's it's pretty normal to have I mean, it's, it's normal to see people squatting and deadlifting. And, you know, you know this because you've been powerlifting for a very long time. And I know this because, you know, because I've been involved in, in strength and conditioning for a long time. But people who are maybe a little bit younger than us uh, or just newer to this stuff will not recognize that if you walked into a 24-hour fitness 15 years ago, uh, it would it was a regular occurrence for if you were like squatting below parallel for a trainer to come up to you and be like, don't do that. That's no. dangerous. Yeah. To to yeah. Uh, or or if you were squat. I mean, God forbid you had three plates on the bar. Um, <sighs> just hard. Just nor- the normalization of of hard training in general. I think it is worth noting, especially the normalization of strength and hypertrophy training for for women. Uh, those are by far the the most important uh, consequences of CrossFit. Not the particulars of the training. I do think there's some value there too, but. Just the fact that people now think it is normal for your exercise routine to be challenging and rigorous um, and that people think it's normal to get strong and build muscle. Those are those are far and away the best things. I think beyond that, um, the affiliates, like even quote unquote bad ones, even ones that don't do what I would consider to be a great job with programming, as we were alluding to before, they are places where thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, who knows, have, yeah. have gone to and... and actively are changing their lives for the better in really, really important and meaningful ways. So the affiliates are literally changing the world. And that, to an extent that can also be said of group of, you know, businesses like orange theory and stuff like that. But I do think that CrossFit really laid that foundation. Um, so those are, I would say those are the best things. Yeah. I don't know the worst things. Are, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I, I would agree with the social part of that. I mean, normalization, normalization of lifting weights, just first and foremost, and I'll broad scale. I mean, there's over 15,000 affiliates worldwide, like, uh, which, you know, the growth and, and then the, the, at the CrossFit games, like putting that on television. Um, and then especially for women, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the ways that they've done that with respect to like showcasing women in certain, for sure. but, but still sure. like totally agree. W- without that, uh, I, I don't know that you, you know, that the, the, you know, knock on effects of like, Hey, you can get equipment now shipped to you overnight. Like yeah. before I remember when I bought my very first barbell, it was through a company called Gopher and they happened to carry York. And so I bought York barbell and some plates. I mailed a cashier's check in an envelope. Oh my God. <laughs> to, and, and then six weeks later, this like damaged box shows up and I just have to assume what was in there was like what I ordered. Now you can go on rogue, like pick out an entire furnish, an entire gym and it's there in a few days. Uh, unless we're in the middle of a pandemic, in which case there, there's no equipment and whatever. But hey, hey, shout out to Rogue though. Just just since you mentioned that, Rogue Fitness, like from the beginning of the pandemic, started. I mean, just doing everything right. You know about what they did? Huh? Not not in they, particular. No. They like rededicated some huge portion of their production capacity to making per, uh, personal protective equipment for oh, hospitals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were uh, employing local workers who were out of a job to come be, you know, additional hands. They were buying like hundreds of meals a week from restaurants that to feed to the workers. I mean, like just good business, just good business. Yeah. So just you know, rogues, rogues, awesome. Yeah, I love rogue. I only have like three rogue items that I will vehemently say, look, these are the worst things you've ever made. Uh, one of them is their box squat. Like it just, it's literally a hundred pounds and completely useless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't, I mean, very durable. 
Yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. You could throw a bomb on that thing, and it's like, yeah, a great blast shield. Uh, the, the, the Thompson fat pad, I'm unclear as to who that's made for because as a person who benches over two times body weight, like I can't even get at my elbows hit the thing and that doesn't make any sense to me. It's very uh, comfortable to sit on during personal training sessions. Let me yeah. Excellent. Excellent uh, place to put things. It's very wide and durable. Yeah, lots of, lots of surface area. <laughs> yeah. But everything that, and their monster racks are far too wide, uh, because you, you, especially if you're using a competition barbell for powerlifting, you hit the plates, but Hey, look, if those are the only gripes that I have. And I'm good at complaining. Yeah. I can find something to complain about most of the time. Well, yeah. it's you know it, it's in our blood. That's true. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, CrossFit has done wonders for for this com- uh, the strength conditioning community, and and I think most people when they try to like gripe against CrossFit, they're like, "What's the the programming in some places by some people?" And you're like, "Right, okay, okay." Like, yeah, all right. that's, that's in every aspect of this industry. There are some powerlifting coaches who program just God awful stuff. <laughs> West side. And then, uh, oh, it, right. Yeah. I'm going to get some hate for that. But, but and, should I, should I, should I, uh, fill you in on my Greg Glassman, Louis Simmons comparison? Wait, is, do, I think they're okay, very I'm, similar. I'm curious. Okay. Go on. I think that Greg and Louis are very similar in that both of them observed correctly, um, certain sort of fallacies and and modes of bad thinking in their fields so powerlifting for louis and and uh strength strength and conditioning fitness training for greg and what both of them did was instead of translating that into a, a kind of co- fostering a continued spirit of open inquiry they both just installed mm. their own dogma instead it's, it's oh, a very 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 similar sort of social evolution of, of those two those two groups i think uh, also, side note, when we went to Hawaii for the CrossFit Level 1 MD, this was 2018, which was 10 years after when I got my Level 1. It's the same course, by the way, as I took in 2008, just 10 years later, and now is all doctors, yep. which was interesting because I'm like, you don't need to have doctors operate as trainers or coaches. What you need to do is like assuage any of their fears or qualms against recommending exercise and give totally. them the behavioral change counseling skills to like get people to engage. Anyway, yeah. that, not that I like run a seminar where we try to like empower people to do so. Or what do I know? In any case, we see, we see Glassman, Austin and I, and he goes, hey guys, you're the uh, barbell medicine guys. Uh, really, really excited to have you here. I have a funny story for you. I'm like, okay, go on. He's like, see that dog over there? I'm like, yeah. He, he goes, that's my dog. Guess what his name is? I'm like, what? He goes, Rip. And I go, wait, what? You named oh your God, dog dude. Rip? Oh man, um, gonna I, don't, that. I don't. Like, we we can't we can't unpack that. I don't want to unpack no, that. No, let's not. Okay, moving no. on. Okay. Wor- right. Worst worst things about what is the worst thing in your estimation about CrossFit? It's it's honestly a difficult question for me. I just don't like. So socially, I think they like as an organization, as a community, they do think some things badly, right? Like they're they're very. Um, trolly man this is changing now this sure, is to yeah. some extent but like kind of like what you alluded to earlier like did we did we need to so consistently uh emphasize kind of soft sexualized images of women to promote strength training for women right like was that was this helpful is this the best way to do it stuff like that obviously we had some really serious problems with greg uh which led to his being ousted from the company i think for the better mm-hmm. um I think that uh, there are some major problems kind of within within the, the inner circles of CrossFit. I mean, I really think that the training, the approach to training and the, the seminar stuff has really ossified into its own dogma. Like I mentioned earlier, they're just, yeah. they will, I mean, you know, they're still teaching like wiggling your toes when you squat, you know? Right, uh, well, hey man, you can't be on your toes. Can't be on your toes. Uh, so, so I mean, those things are bad. But to be honest, and like, listen, I'm a bit of a CrossFit homer, right? I've built my whole life around the community, so so I'm I'm biased here. But when I think about the like the material consequences that CrossFit has had on the world, and I think about the bad ones, they're, I mean, like bad compared to what? How bad are they? You know what right, I mean? Right, so right. it's 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 a little bit of a cop out, but I, I don't really feel like I have a good answer. I don't think it's done. M- much bad or harm. I guess the things I would look at that I personally think are negative are kind of social and cultural things w- uh, within the community and the tendency towards dogmatism that is uh, 
you know, obviously that's that's present to some extent in any kind of educational community that's that's trying to to sell its own its own vision. But I do think it's particularly bad in the CrossFit community. Yep, I think um, I I am in agreement that it's very difficult to find stuff that I'm like, yep, this was bad, and it had a really bad like effect. Um, which you know that maybe those those are are going to be realized later on. Uh, my biggest things have to do with the dietary sort of dogma that's been pushed. This low, first it was zone or paleo and then low. It's like, yeah. guys, this is you're operating far outside of your scope here. This is does yeah. not need that's, to be. That's actually a really good point. I should have brought that up. That is yeah. definitely, uh, definitely problematic. Yeah. You can have ideas about it and definitely sure. that should be part of a seminar that regarding strength conditioning is like the nutritional approach, but like to have these very firm thoughts and get behind Gary Taubes and, you know, these other people yeah. that have this, the academic community is like, Hey guys, uh, if you have great data, like we're happy to review it. But right now all the data says that what you're saying yeah. is BS. Um, yeah. Well, and again, I, I want to emphasize it's, it's not as though you go into the typical CrossFit gym and don't get helpful recommendations, right? If you go to most CrossFit gyms now, they will tell you like, you need to measure your intake. Yeah, you need to you need to you know, like most CrossFit gyms are at this point, and I'm guessing a little bit, but I'm pretty confident. Understand that like a fairly straightforward macro based approach, macro and calorie based approach to nutrition is going to get most people what they need. I do think that's one of the other good things about the model, the affiliate model, is that it is genuinely decentralized. Uh, you know, they, they CrossFit mm-hmm. has very very little input into how you actually run your gym, um, which I think is a good mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I just wish that there was a, I wish there was an upstream flow. I wish that CrossFit HQ allowed the affiliates to change it uh, mm. in a way that it currently does not. Cause I think most of the best work is being done at an individual gyms, not at HQ. And, and interestingly, yeah. they themselves would say that right. HQ rightly sort of um, lionizes the affiliates as the core of what CrossFit is about. And like, they're the ones making all the the positive changes to which we alluded earlier. I wish that HQ would allow itself to be changed by the changes going on in affiliates. And I think would be in a much better place if that were the case. Yep. My only other gripe is more of like an opportunity lost. Like there's this huge base of CrossFitters, CrossFit affiliates, and this big reach, right? Which I think could have an even greater public health sort of effect if, if they would, instead of focusing on like, it's got to be CrossFit and it's got to be our diet and it's got to be this and that, uh, was more inclusive and, mm-hmm. and less into the weeds, like particularly in the medical community, like what is the goal of barbell medicine? We're trying to empower medical and fitness professionals to, uh, not only improve, you know, what the work they're doing in the trenches, but also improve their community health by like promoting physical activity, promoting health, promoting, uh, dietary patterns and, you know, increasing access. Like we want all of that stuff. And I think CrossFit wants that too. Uh, but the way that they are kind of almost alienating medical professionals who are like evidence-based, they're like, yeah, so cancer is, is a disease that starts in the metabolism. It's really just from eating sugar. And we're like, mm. what? Y- you had me, you had me in this public health promotion part, but like this, this is odd. And, and just, uh, it, it, it's just a way to kind of blame people in a different manner right Right. so why do individuals develop obesity well they just eat too much and move too little and then greg was like well you got to get off the carbs and off the couch and it's like oh well why did you get cancer well you ate too much sugar you know why do you and it's like well and i think i think one thing that's worth highlighting with that too is let's let's imagine a future world in which it turns out that that supposition is correct ah cancer really is just a just a result of eating too much sugar even if that is the case the attitude that they've taken towards people who disagree with them on it will still be have been unhelpful correct it will yes. still it would still be more helpful to be inclusive and to to like i said earlier foster that spirit of open inquiry um that sort of greg started with right because he was asking good questions yeah. he, even if it turns out they're right about that i don't think that it is going to turn out that way but even if it did the attitude they have now will still in retrospect have been unhelpful to the goal of furthering uh, as much as possible, the health of, of individuals and communities. So it, yeah, it's just not like you've got to, the way you conduct yourself matters. It's going mm-hmm. to affect people and it's going to, it's going to, as you said, it's going to limit your reach. So why, why, you know, just be nice. It's not that hard. 
Yeah, you have to be polarizing enough to be interesting, but not too polarizing to actually like drive large herds of people away from your from your message. So yeah, still working on that. <clears throat> In any case, uh, I am very. I mean, con- I, I I stopped working on it by getting off the internet. It's much easier to just not uh, try. Yeah, smart. No, I love that. Uh, I am very cognizant of your time. I wanted to briefly kind of cover this because I think this is something we've been harping on quite a bit. And uh, anytime I get to like opine eloquently about a pet idea, I'll I'll take it. Uh, right. We have been putting forth this idea of, w- with respect to programming, that progressive loading should supplant the term progressive overload. The idea is that, yes, uh, weight should go up, reps should go up, rest intervals should go down, you should be able to do more when uh, uh, your fitness levels have improved to allow you to do so, rather than trying to force the adaptation. So in other words, you're letting the adaptation transpire to occur, and then by adding more, you've demonstrated an increase in performance. And by increasing the load, decreasing the rest, increasing reps per set, you're again applying a similar level of stress to the individual to allow them to do that again. Versus like, yeah, you actually haven't gotten any stronger, any fitter, any whatever, um, but you're just gonna do more now to force it. Um, Mm -hmm. The idea is at that point, you're actually providing maybe too much stress and causing too much fatigue and not allowing this thing to transpire, which ultimately kind of, makes this periodization model difficult to plan long term because you're you're like well how quickly is somebody going to improve and like and further uh, how do you program for somebody without using some sort of auto regulation where they can match the load or the stress to their current level performance which ebbs and flows um, i'm curious to know what your thoughts on that because i did listen to your podcast with john kiley and, and to share and it felt like mm-hmm. that you guys were all kind of on that boat. And I'm like, well, I'll just be curious to see what he thinks about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I would have to, you'd have to sit down and, and give me kind of a more protracted explanation of, of what it means. But in general, uh, I'll say the following words to you and you tell me if this sounds right. Training an athlete is less like constructing a building and more like growing a garden. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I think that, a lot of what you're alluding to, I think correctly, it, it, actually for me, the way that I think about it has to do with epistemological problems, with how do we know that it makes sense to increase the stress, to change the protocol or whatever. Mm-hmm. My inclination is to say, as or, or actually my inclination is to quote Mike Tushier and say, follow athlete response. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, you're generally going to get clearer, more useful information when you focus on designing a training process that allows the athlete to uh, apply a stress that is appropriate given the context of the training session, uh, which is not easy to do for the record. Like you have to teach people Here's what, here's the kind of physical feel we're looking for. Here's the level of difficulty we're looking for. Mm -hmm. You have to educate them to do that. But I do think that you're usually going to get better results. Now, it is worth noting that even though I think that's the case, a lot of the changes you end up making, a lot of the programming, the training design you actually do is still going to look the same as Mm -hmm. somebody who ends up saying, uh, well, we're going to do this in week one and this in week two and this in week three and this in week four. Um, because obviously, a lot of those protocols are designed on a good understanding of of, uh, of the training process and of physiological adaptation and all that. Um, but to me, like I said earlier, the the process of, of training design for me is it's really an information processor. I take a, an understanding of the sort of brass tacks, the nuts and bolts of, of training and adaptation. And uh, I design a training process for the athlete that seems to make sense given that knowledge and their context. Um, I read their resu- their training log. I look at the the week to week outcomes, and I kind of refer back to the knowledge of training and and you know make what seem to me to be reasonable uh, changes. Uh, so it, that sounds like something like what you're allu- alluding to. Uh, if we want to call it progressive loading instead of progressive overload, sure, fine with me. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think I think the general sort of thing you're alluding to makes sense to me. Yeah, my my thought is that. Every session that is similar to a previous session as far as demands and like the exertion level that you're uh, requiring or, or aiming for or whatever should feel about the same. It may be heavier. 
It may be fat done faster. It may be done with more reps or whatever, but it shouldn't be noticeably harder if you're at that same target level of exertion. It, you've been able to demonstrate an improvement and then therefore do more rather than, yeah, no, it's going to feel harder because it's heavier. Yeah. It's like, if it does, yeah. I don't know that you got any better. And which tell, which doesn't tell me anything about how my programming's working. Right. Because like, right. It just shows me that you didn't actually improve. And so then I'm right. like, I don't know. How how hard a workout feels should be a function of the target stimulus, not mm-hmm. of just the fact that it's harder than the last one, right? So like talking about delivery work or aerobic work should never really feel that hard uh, mm-hmm. because if it does feel that hard, what do we mean when conditioning feels hard? Usually what we mean is uh, I'm out of breath, you know, I'm, my breathing's running out of control, my muscles are really burning, and I feel like I'm losing my pace. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're probably... Uh, going past the point of delivery training or aerobic training. So mm-hmm. yeah, the way that I would express that is just that the the difficulty of the session should be a function of the target stimulus. The workout should be designed with an adaptation in mind and how it feels physically is going to be a function of of that tar- of you know the nature of that kind of training. So I you know obviously sometimes like yeah, a session's going to be hard. Yep. And and we can even tell the athlete, I expect this to feel tough. And it might be mentally difficult, right? It might be, it's just more, it, it just feels more difficult at the same level of exertion because it's Tuesday. And I it, it always feels tougher on Tuesday or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I would generally agree that like pushing the stress of a session uh, based solely on the fact that, well, this is what we did last time. So it's got to be more, yeah. Right, right. Um, there's a time and a place to do a little bit of that, but I, I don't know that it's like we don't need to do all of that all the time with all the training. Well, yeah, but the, you know, if you don't add five pounds to the bar, what are you, what are you doing? It's a waste of time. Waste of time. Waste. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this has been Jake Sipkin on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Jake, Jacob, where can people find you? I know, again, you're not on social media, but you do have a website. I assume that yeah. you have some email that people can. How do how do people there. contact you? Yeah, the website is anarchos, A-N-A-R-C-H-O-S, trainingmethods.com. There's a contact form on there. Uh, website's fairly sparse, but if you want to read a little bit of my writing uh, about training, there's a, there's a couple blogs there. Um, yeah, pretty straightforward, anarchostrainingmethods.com, and, and uh, you, can, you can drop me an email through the contact form if you're uh, interested in talking to me. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Love being here. All right, that's a wrap on episode 155. Again, that was Jacob Sipkin of Anarcho's Training Methods. All of his contact info is in the description below, so check him out. Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. Before you uh, you know exit out of this app, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us drive traffic to the podcast so we can keep bringing you the latest nuance in health and fitness. See you guys next time right here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast.